1: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
2: For the draft philosophy, it's really to understand uh, how to tie evaluation with valuation. When and where to pick certain players on the board and have that feel is important to me. I believe in building the foundation with offensive linemen and defensive linemen, and obviously supporting our quarterback with giving him the most weapons that we can possible.
3: Welcome back. Hour two. I'm Rick Camp with you until nine o'clock. That was Bears GM Ryan Poles on Bears All Access about his philosophy when it comes to drafting. And that's going to be a big deal for the Bears this offseason. Maybe not in terms of number of picks, at least as of yet. But over the course of his tenure, that's absolutely a huge part of what he's going to be evaluated on. At 7.40, we'll talk college basketball with Tyler Morales of BetMGM tonight. So a little bit of baseball stuff starting to trickle out there. I saw a tweet from John Morosi that we'll get to in the next segment. But right now, we are going to go out to the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, and talk with Brian Perez at Brian with Y Perez NFL on Twitter. You can read his work over at the Draft Network. Brian, appreciate you making time for me tonight, man.
0: Rick, I appreciate you having me, man.
3: So, obviously, the Bears make the moves that they have over the last couple days. You know, Goldman and Cohen, not exactly the most shocking moves in the world. And really, I guess maybe not Khalil Mack as much, just maybe a little more jarring on that front. What did you think of what the Bears have done so far?
0: It's like you said, Rick. I I think when fans are able to kind of uh, process the fact that Khalil Mack is no longer on the Bears and, and kind of get over the initial shock uh, that, you know, this was supposed to be a player who was going to be the next great Bears defender. He was supposed to bring the Bears deep into the playoffs, you know, contend and compete with the Green Bay Packers for the NFC North and, and eventually maybe sign a second contract after this first one was done and go down as one of the greats. So when you process that that's not what actually ended up happening here, with Mac and the fact that, you know, Ryan Poles did what a smart young general manager really should do. Flip whatever is left in terms of, of the value Mac has on the trade market, flip it into more picks, into not only this year, but even into the twenty twenty three draft so he can implement his vision, what he thinks a winning and contending football team should look like. And yeah, it stings. Khalil Mack was the draw, he was the superstar on that defense. But it was in terms of football building strategy, it was the right move by
1: Poles.
3: I know it's it's early and obviously these guys all sound pretty good before they've had to, you know, tangibly do a lot of stuff. But from what we've we've heard from Ryan Poles since he got hired and Matt Iberflus even to an extent as well, how have you felt about the philosophy that Ryan Poles has put out there and how that could or should benefit the Bears as they start to try and build around fields?
0: You know, the first word that comes to mind when I think about this new regime, at least what we've seen over the last, you know, I guess you could say a couple of months now, is refreshing, right? It feels like it's a breath of fresh air inside of Hallis Hall. It seems like you have two people who are very qualified for the positions they're holding. Ryan Poles seems like he has a very clear an identifiable plan for what he wants to do and, and, and the vision he has for what this team should look like. And Matt Eberflus sounds like a legitimate, real, qualified head coach who isn't going to allow his ego on one side of the ball get in the way of what's in the best interest of this team. He's going to be a leader. He reminds me a lot of Harbaugh up in Baltimore where he's going to allow his coaches to coach and he's going to be the facilitator, the ultimate decision maker but just when it comes down to it, be a legitimate head football coach, almost like the CEO of the organization, and let the guys he trusts on the offensive and defensive side of the ball do their thing. That's that's really what plagued Matt Nagy during his tenure in Chicago. He let himself get in the way of the team's ultimate growth and development. And what Ryan Pace, I think Ryan Pace's fatal flaw was trusting or relying on his evaluation to a fault. He wouldn't allow himself to move beyond his own personal misses. And it seems like with Poles and Iberflues, they're very different from a personality standpoint. Poles has a clear identifiable plan that he's putting in place. We're seeing it already over the last 48 hours. He knows what he wants to do. And it doesn't matter what the national reaction is going to be. He's sticking to his plan. And Iberflues, yes, some of it's coach speak, some of it is rah-rah cliche stuff, but it but it works. That stuff does work in the locker room, and we'll see once they get on the field and once you know the training camp starts and the preseason and regular season rolls around. But so far, I think it's just a refreshing. It's just a breath of fresh air, at House Hall.
3: Do you think Matt Eberflus would have a basketball court with his last initial in the middle of it?
0: See, that, that's that's we talk about decision making, right? <laughs> I, I think Eberflus would stay away from that. And that is a you know, it's funny you say that, Rick, because. When I saw those pictures on Twitter, that to me was the perfect symbol of everything that was wrong about Matt Nagy. He just didn't get it. I mean, that ego is what really ended up sinking his head coaching career in Chicago. And if you're going to put your initial on that basketball court with the bears colors, and that's, that's reserved for the, for George Halas, initials to, to do that. You really thought you were bigger than the brand, bigger than the culture, bigger than the team. And, and those guys never last long.
3: My, My real question more than anything with the, with the pictures of the house, why are you having like the only way I can see having lockers in any way, shape or form is if that's like a mudroom type thing where you're functioning it as a closet, but like, it looked like just a random ass part of a room that you just had lockers in.
0: Listen, if I'm going to give Maggie credit for anything, he went all in on that vision. (laughs) And I wish he could call in a game plan and script a game plan as well as he put those plans together on his house because that's a Bears fan's dream living situation. He just couldn't put together a, a dream-come-true game plan from Sunday to Sunday. If he had the kind of acumen on the field that he had in designing his house, he'd, be, he'd probably win a Super Bowl by now.
3: It's true. And that's the analysis you get when I get to talk with Brian Perez. Follow my Twitter <laughs> at Brian Perez NFL. Read his great work at the Draft Network. So, all right. So, the, the Bears' offseason priorities, according to you, when you look at whether it's free agency or the draft, is it as simple as just saying the things that help Justin Fields the most?
0: Absolutely. I, I mean, the only chance the Bears have at becoming a relevant football team in the division, and then in the NFC, and then maybe in the entire NFL, is if the quarterback situation once and for all is settled, not just with a guy, but with the guy. And Justin Fields feels like he has a chance to be the guy based on not only his pedigree, but his his just raw ability as an athlete, his natural instincts as a passer and quarterback. Everything is there for him, the player, in a bubble to succeed. But we all know that the NFL is not about a player operating in a bubble he needs to have a strong supporting cast. And as great as a guy like Khalil Mack was for the defense, to be honest, he wasn't going to do anything directly to help Justin Fields succeed. So they have to invest both second-round picks on the offensive side of the ball. They have to invest uh, as much free agent capital, free agency capital on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, obviously, there will be some defensive players sprinkled in. They're, they're, they're not um, you know, flawless on that side of the ball. But in 2022, this offseason going into regular season, they got to upgrade the offensive line. They have, I mean, all we have right now on this roster is Darnell Mooney as a viable wide receiver. So I would expect and anticipate a whole lot of activity on that part of the roster with wide receivers both in the second and third tier of free agency. And, you know, I did a mock draft today for the draft network, and I had them using both second round picks on wide receivers. I think it's going to be that big of an investment in the position and on that side of the ball.
3: So I listened to, and I think this was, this was like pre-Combine. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah did like the pre, pre-Combine media frenzy where he's just basically answering everybody's draft questions. It's parachuting into draft stuff now. And mentioned there's not a whole lot of difference between guys like 15 to 60. It was kind of like his his big overarching tier after your blue chip type guys. Now, kind of regardless of position, does that range make sense to you and considering where the bears are right now is it feasible for them to get tangible guys that they could really use you know like in that area of the second round
0: So, so I think that's really dependent on the specific draft class right every draft class is its own entity and some draft classes have a Trevor Warrens generational quarterback at the top And then it's a steep drop off from there. Maybe the top 15 are good players. And then the top 25 are, you know, in that same range. And then there's another steep drop right there in this year's draft. If Jeremiah was speaking specifically about 2022, I would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that sentiment because this year's draft, the strength of the draft is in its depth in the first two rounds. So I know that the knee-jerk reaction on social media on Twitter was that the Bears got the 48th overall pick, a second rounder for Cleo Mack. And yeah, I mean, Cleo Mack's resume would suggest the first rounder would have been nice, but the reality is 31 years old, diminishing returns on his contract, three straight years without double-digit sacks, whether injuries or whatnot have played into that. It's just a fact, three straight years without double-digit sacks. Getting a top 50 pick for him at this point is good value, and it's made even better by the fact that the 48th overall pick this year will be a player that might have like a fringe first-round grade. So you're getting two players at 39 and 48 who in a traditional draft year might be, higher, might be even higher than that, but because this year's draft is so deep at certain positions, you can get two wide receivers that might have traditionally been picks 28 to 32, you might get that guy at 39. So, And then a player at 48 might have been a a late first-rounder at a different position, offensive line, maybe a cornerback, something like that. I mean, we saw this a couple years ago, Rick, when the Bears got Jalen Johnson at the 50th overall pick. You look back on that now, he would be a first-round pick in a redo of his draft, but he was the 50th selection. So that's the range. That's the talent. That's the value of prospect that the Bears are going to get back with this Cleo trade. And I would argue it might be a player who comes into league with a higher grade than even Jalen Johnson had, Because this year's draft is so deep. So, yes, Jeremiah is on the money when he says between picks 15 and 60, you're kind of splitting hairs. Like the guy who comes off the board at 34 versus the guy who comes off the board at 19. Or, for for example, the Chargers pick at 17, right? Mm -hmm. So if the Bears got the Chargers pick at 17, are they really getting a player far superior at 17 than who they'd get at 48? It's not that big of a difference this year.
3: When I, I'm always interested in like kind of like uh positional value and how that plays into everything in term in terms of the draft, because obviously overall grades don't necessarily take that into account. But just in terms of receiver as in terms of positional value, because of how offenses are going in college and how many more of your peak athletes are going out to receiver, is it getting closer to almost running back in a way where unless it's a. Jamar Chase type prospect, you're maybe almost better off prioritizing something else and knowing you can get at least a high percentage of whatever that first round prospect would have been in maybe the second or third round, or is that still very class to class for you?
2: So I
0: I think it is trending in the direction where just by the nature of the position, there are so many wide receivers that are available in every draft Um, that teams know they can wait until that second trip through the draft, that second round to draft one, because the the difference between a mid to late first round pick outside of those elite guys like Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, the guys that are going to go top 10 in every class. Once you get into that, you know, 12, 13, 14 range, 15, 16, the wide receivers that would come off at that range in the draft versus a wide receiver. That's pick 48, for example, yeah, give me a, a, a player at a harder-to-find position like an offensive tackle or even a lockdown cornerback in the first round over the wide receiver who might have a first-round grade, but the guy getting in the second round is right there with him in terms of a profile or projection as a successful pro. So I think when all things are even and you have a chance to take a player at a thinner position like an offensive tackle, the tie is always going to go to the offensive lineman or the cornerback or the positions that are harder to fill because wide receiver, there's so many good ones, and and guys you can get, like you said, in the second, third, even on day three, who end up rising and and producing among the best in the class. Look at the Detroit Lions last year. Amon Ross St. Brown, he was one of the best rookie wide receivers in the league in the second half of the season. He wasn't a first round pick, so you can get these guys in it on the in the beginning of day two, and that's why the Bears are set up really, really well, and that's why I think you're going to see in free agency. Maybe they'll land a guy like Auden Tate from Cincinnati or a second-tier, third-tier free agent receiver. But I really think they're going to allocate the big money on offensive linemen because it's so hard to find those guys in the draft. And then in the draft, use those early draft picks on wide receivers because if you take the philosophy that I applied in, in the mock draft on the Draft Network today, if you take two in the second round, yeah, the odds that both of them are going to hit are low, but you increase the chance that you're going to land a guy by just volume. So take two top 50 wide receivers. Chances are one of those guys is to become a starter alongside Darnell Mooney, and I, and I think that's a philosophy we could realistically see play out once April rolls around.
3: I don't mean to completely like ask you to reveal everything of of your content because everybody should be reading your stuff at thedraftnetwork.com, but of the receivers that could be in that area god forbid it's the ryan pace cloud of of receiver prospects but you know just the types of receivers that could be around that area who are some of the names that bears fans should be kind of keeping an eye on as pro days come around
0: well so the two guys i sent to the bears at 39 and 48 in my mock was intentional because i believe and i'll explain in a second but i believe you you if you're going to do this strategy you have to hedge your bets, right? So at 39, I have the Bears taking the North Dakota State wide receiver, Christian Watson, who is 6'4", 208, ran a 438 at the combine. His explosion numbers were among the elite of the elite scores. I was down at the senior bowl this year, watched him up close. This guy's going to have no problem transitioning from North Dakota State to NFL, uh, to the NFL field. He was dominant against the top senior cornerbacks. Level of competition will not be an issue. Only potential red flag is he has some moments on tape where he can struggle catching the football, which obviously is a major job requirement for a wide receiver, but from an elite upside standpoint, Christian Watson, and I don't think he's going to get outside the top 40. So at number 39, it makes sense. And then I have them wrapping around again at number 48 and taking David Bell from Purdue, who at the combine was kind of terrible, to be honest with you. He ran slow. His explosion numbers were poor. But on film, if you're a tape guy, you're going to see a player who has no peers in this class when it comes to contested catches. When he's got the ball in his hand, he's a load to bring to the ground, can make plays after the catch. He actually reminds me a lot of Allen Robinson. So if you, if you take two receivers like that at 39 and 48, one guy is the high upside athlete. The other guy is the on-field baller. One of those two guys are going to hit, You know, either the analytics guy who – can run and jump like the top players we've ever seen at the position or the guy on tape who just wins every rep. One of those guys, it's either the tape, uh, the tape crowd or the analytic crowd. Somebody's going to be proven right in that round. And if I'm Ryan Poles and he said basically his goals to add wide receivers who can bail out his quarterback, you have two guys with very different traits who both, dis- who both fit that description. They could both bail out Justin Fields as home run hitters as big-body, physical catch guys. And to me, it would be a dream-come-true draft draft haul. I just don't know how Bears fans will like having two wide receivers in the second round. But at this point, when, when we know it's going to be all about Justin Fields, the best way to make a quarterback better is two things. Protect him up front and give him legitimate playmakers on the outside. So in round two, they do the playmaker part.
3: And I love having like the diverse type of skill sets within that, within that specific position group. Because then when I think of that, and mind you, you're never building a position group around Darnell Mooney, but, you know, just like the one guy that is actually there that can kind of play. (laughs) And you just think about those two guys with the way you describe their skill sets paired with Mooney and then having Cole Komet as a guy that can catch the ball and then fall down. Like, that seems like it seems like a a receiving group that makes a whole lot of sense that can give Luke Getzey some options to do different stuff.
0: And, you know, Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks on their podcast that they do, they talk all the time about you build a wide receiver room like a basketball team. You got your point guard, your shooting guard, your power forward, your center. Every one of these guys has a different body type, a different skill set. You put it all together, you get a, each guy who does their job really, really well, and you have a good outcome. What you're talking about, like, you know, with Christian Watson and uh, Bell and you have Darnell Mooney and a big body guy like Cole Komet, you're checking every box for body type, athletic trait, and skill set that you'd want to have at Justin Fields' disposal. You want to give him a perfect target for every situation. And by diversifying the different types of, of traits and things that his wide receivers and tight ends do well, if you make that a diverse enough group, there's literally no excuses. right? The only excuse he would have is he doesn't have enough time to throw. And the Bears made a pretty good investment in the offensive line last year. Whether those picks end up panning out or not, we'll see. But they made an investment with, you know, Tevin Jenkins in the second round, Larry Borum. You know, he was a, uh, a mid-day three pick, but he emerged as a starter. Uh, I'm sure they're going to make the investment on the offensive line, like I said, again, in free agency. So I don't see there being many excuses for Justin Fields in 2022 if this kind of philosophy actually gets put into, into practice. The only thing we could end up seeing and this is where the Khalil Mack fans will come out of the shadows and say, I told you so, is maybe we finally have a year where the offense can score points, but the defense can't stop the opponent from scoring points. And we're moving into year two of Poles' regime with a whole lot of salary cap space, which is exactly what you want to set yourself up to sign the big money pass rushers and the big money cornerbacks. So I think Ryan is is playing chess right now, and he's two or three moves ahead and Bears fans just have to be really, really patient
3: with him. Bears optimism is kind of jarring at this point, but hey, Brian, it's great It's great to go through it with you, and I know it's been a minute since I've gotten to talk to you, so it's a pleasure, as always. Read Brian's stuff over at the Draft Network, at Brian with a Y Perez NFL on Twitter. Good to talk to you, man.
0: Same here, Rick. Thanks for having me on.
3: That is Brian Perez from the Draft Network. Great stuff from him. On the, if that can't get you hyped a little bit, then, then what are you doing here? Because, I, I mean, I know I'm a sucker for drafts. Even though I've gotten less and less focused on prepping for the NFL draft and more reactionary to it, maybe being part of uh, Bernstein and Rahimi and doing Who's Your Guy this year will definitely help. By the way, we have the Tournament of Greatness starting on Monday. So we're not taking submissions anymore. The uh, The selection committee, me, uh, has already... Made the selections. There are seeds all set. We're set for Monday, thankfully, because it's a lot of work to get that thing done. So I'm excited for that. We'll have the regular bracket, the Tournament of Greatness bracket to look at. So keep an eye out for all that stuff on Monday. When we come back, we'll hit on some of the news and notes from today in Major League Baseball. Kind of thought there might have been more of a flurry than there's been. Not even really been a flurry, just like a couple sprinkles. That's pretty much all we've gotten so far from baseball you're back. Now, do things, damn it. i on, baseball. Great. You got it. done with the lockout. Good for you. Do things. All right. I'm Rick. I'll be here with you till 9 on The Score.
2: This is Sports Radio 670, The Score,
3: Chicago's sports station. I do believe, I hope, um, I'm, I'm, that the players will see the effort we made to address their concerns in this agreement. Um, As an olive branch in terms of building a better relationship, Um, we built some processes um, into this agreement where we're going to be interacting more regularly with players on topics like the international draft and rule changes. Um, I I think those opportunities for positive interaction um, um, help to build a, a, a better relationship. Shut up, Rob Manfred. The deal's done. I understand you have to say something after it happens, but just go away now. Because hope it, the players should have no trust in ownership after this whole thing. Every offer that was like, well, nope, this is a deadline. So what are we going to do? Add something in the fine print now and hope the players don't see it and get it agreed to. Doesn't build trust. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. Like that's the problem here. There's no reason to trust them. If I was a player, I'm not trusting Rob Manfred. I'm not trusting ownership further than I can throw him, which is not very far at this point.
1: Yeah, they have a different definition of deadline than what everybody else in the world has.
3: It's all this negotiate. it's it's all the negotiating tactics crap that I don't know. I, I don't care. The best part about all this is we don't have to worry about competitive well. You're going to worry about competitive balance tax if, you know, you're a fan of a team that's actually willing to spend up to and over it, which would be a nice thing. Because And, and this is my, I've made this point before, and I know it's not apples to apples necessarily, but boy, the percentages that they talk about as a tax in baseball that all these owners pearl clutch over. If you look at the tax penalties in the NBA for first time offenders. It is so far and away worse. Like I want to say it's, and I'd have to look it up to be 100% sure, but like a first-time offender in the lowest money threshold over the luxury tax line pays like a buck fifty for every dollar that they're over. Which is crazy, and at least like three times what baseballs is. And you know what? Teams that are going to win... And by going to win, I mean trying to win, are willing to do it. So, yeah, I understand you don't want necessarily a cap because then you'd actually have to have a salary floor baseball, but whatever. Don't have to worry about that part of it. Now it's actually about the baseball. And when it comes to the baseball, one of the Chicago teams made a move. Not a big move, mind you. The Cubs signed Andrelton Simmons, who is... At least in his prime, when he was in his prime, a little older now, legitimately one of the best defensive shortstops we've ever seen. A fantastic gold glove shortstop. I'll, I'll still always think of him with Atlanta, because that's where he spent, you know, the beginning of his career where he was really making a lot of his highlights. in uh, With the Angels uh, this past year, I believe. or I know he's at least spent a tenure with the Angels as well. But one-year, $4 million, not enough to be... I saw some people being like, oh my God, does this mean the Cubs can't get Correa? No. One-year, $4 million, that's utility infielder type stuff. So Simmons is a guy. He's a guy to bring in. That's all. I'd, I'd be floored if the Cubs ended up with Carlos Correa. Absolutely floored. So not expecting it in the slightest. One move that is interesting on a player of note that... Uh, well, actually two. One that has actually happened... Carlos Rodon, like, good for him, man. He got more money than I thought he was going to get per year. Two years, 44 mil to go to the Giants. Did, the Sox didn't even want to bother with the qualifying offer, which I understood considering all the injury concerns, and that was 18 and a half. And he gets 22 per? Like, good for Carlos Rodon. Uh, and then now per uh, John Morosi, who came on the station, by the way, yesterday, like, right after everything broke, got... Really good dude, really good reporter, was on with Parkins and Spiegel. And uh, he's saying that the Dodgers' uh, pursuit of Freddie Freeman is intensifying. That's probably one of those things where they look at it and like, okay, universal DH now, that's another bat you can fit into the lineup, rotate some guys through, you know, him and Max Muncie over at first, whatever you have to do, deal with that. All right, let's take a timeout, come back. Tyler Morales from BetMGM tonight is going to honestly take a break from his actual job and come on with me. We're going to talk college basketball as the conference tournaments are in full swing for your big conferences. Let me know who we should be looking at for the tournament. Help me out maybe with a little pre-bracket type stuff because got a lot of learning to do before Selection Sunday. We'll talk to Tyler next on The Score.
2: This is Sports Radio 670, The Score, Chicago's sports station.
1: And he misses the front end. No timeouts for Illinois, for Billard. On the push, nobody pushes quicker. Curbelo end to end, no loose ball. Trace Jackson Davis has it. He's fouled with one point seven seconds to go.
3: Welcome back to Six Seventy. The score. I'm Rick Camp here with you until nine o'clock. The bottom of the hour is brought to you by Duck Duck Go Privacy simplified you heard the highlight there of Illinois falling to Indiana and Mike Woodson who once again I forgot was the head coach of Indiana until today when I saw him getting interviewed after the win that was on Big Ten network selection Sundays almost here and I'm sure a lot of people are like me going oh crap I haven't paid attention to college basketball but I'll be damned if I'm not getting involved in bracket pools and survivor pools and everything else so that's why bring it on. My guy, we worked together on "You Better You Bet" for a minute. Now he's on. He took a break from BetMGM tonight over on the BetQL Network to talk college basketball with me. He's Tyler Morales. You follow him on Twitter at underscore t morales. Tyler, it's been a minute, man. How are you,
2: Rick Camp? It's finally good to talk to you again. I see you left us with the BetQL Network and now now you're big time. Now you got a show, so I'm happy to be on.
3: Well, I mean, at least they, they gave me a Friday night where things are actually happening. And uh, and Tyler's joining me on the Circa Resort and Casino hotline, Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. So we heard the the Illinois highlight in coming in. We might as well hit the hit the local angle first. What have you made of just Illinois as a team this year in general?
2: I mean, super inconsistent first. I had him today minus five. It was a disaster. If they can ever get Trent Frazier, Al- Alfonso Plummer on the same page. Plummer, I mean, just melted down today's performance. I saw Brad Underwood end up taking him out at the end of the game. He wasn't shooting open jump shots with disaster. This is like basically a wash here for Andre Corbello at this point. they dealing with too many injuries. At one point in the season, he, I think he practiced for like a fourth of their practices all season. I mean, he's, he was terrible today at the end of the game, except for that one crazy bounce pass he made to Coleman Hawkins. Uh, I mean, this team has to run through Kofi Coburn. I have a future on them. I was a big fan of them. I mean, what I, what I saw against Indiana today wasn't great. we got to get Fraser and uh, Plummer back on the same page here. If they, if they can, if we can get them on the same page, they can make a run. But right now, this team hasn't – we haven't seen their full arsenal at one time. So I think it's a little too late. I'm not as high as them as I was, but you never know. They're, I, I, they're right now, I projected a four seed, so they're going to go against one of, these 12, uh, one of these 13 seeds that are sneaky every year. I'm not. I, we just gotta wait and see with them at this point. See where the draw uh, matches up.
3: How much better is Gonzaga than everybody at this point? Because I, I just feel like every time I'm seeing highlights of them, it's like, oh, it looks like Chet Holmgren's figuring some things out. Where early in the year, you know, he was a little shaky trying to, yep. you know, figure find his way a little bit in the college game. So, just how good are they?
2: In my opinion, this is. When I go on our show, you better, you bet, I said this in the middle of the year, it's Gonzaga, it's Arizona, and there might be a little bit of a margin. Uh, Drew Timmy, Trey Holgram are amazing. Drew Timmy's a guy that, like we saw in the national championship game against Baylor, if he's going against size and athleticism, he's not the fastest, he's not the biggest. He can be taken out of the game. The perimeter defense is honestly kind of a disaster. They're always playing in high-scoring games. St. Mary's was able to beat him up around the perimeter. They beat him a couple weeks ago. Uh, almost beat him last time, but they have, because I ended up winning by 13. The perimeter even does an issue. They don't guard really well in the perimeter. Like, like I said, Drew, Timmy, if you, if, you, if you have mobile bigs, you put them on the perimeter, it's over for him. Chet Hogram's really the whole – he makes the whole thing go at this point. He averages 41% from three, almost four blocks a game, like a legit, legit unicorn. Uh, Andrew Nemhard, their point guard, Vizier Bolton, their other guard, struggled to guard in the perimeter. I think they're beatable, more beatable than last year. It's it's like, like I said with Illinois. If they get a bad draw, it could be over, but uh the perimeter defense is something you need to be watch out for because if they're going against a good guard and a hot shooting team, I think they can go up pretty pretty maybe sweet sixteen elite eight.
3: I know you've always got a, a mid major team that you love. Last year it oh, yeah. was it was UC Riverside UC Riverside. So who who's your team this year where you're just like begging that they get a, a decent draw so that you can mark them to at least the Sweet Sixteen?
2: I'm glad you asked this because I had this one ready. I had this one ready to go. Chattanooga, they won. right now they're on bracket matrix. They're listed as a 13 seed. They won the So-con, the SoCon championship in a crazy game against Furman. I'm sure you saw the replay with David John-Baptiste. Heaved like a half-court shot that went in. They won that. Uh, they have basically what you're looking for in one of these mid-major teams to pull off and up. So they got two scoring guards. Malachi Smith scores 20 points per game. And David John-Baptiste, like I mentioned, a 15-point-per-game score. The wild card here is their big man, Silvio D'Souza, so people who are college basketball fans might remember. Former Kansas player. He got into that huge brawl against Kansas State the other year where he was throwing stools. He's he still in
3: college basketball?
2: He's still in college. He's had a crazy career. He got, like, investigated by the FBI for taking money. He had to sit out a year. It's been a wild career. He found a good home here in Chattanooga. He's uh, their big man right now. He dominated in the, in the SoCon championship game. He's the ultimate wild card because, he obviously, he's always he's a top recruit in high school, five-star. He's always played against good competition. He was, went to Chattanooga and just dominated. If they, can get like, if, if they can draw like a Providence, which I'm hoping for, uh, like a four-seed, a, like a, it's a decent team like that, I think they can go out and win, and their potential against the spread and money line bet. Love Chattanooga there. And also, uh, I got another one for you. This isn't really like a mid-major team, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of people kind of fell off them. Memphis, load, loaded roster with a ton of talent. They started off the year extremely poorly their big their big uh, time recruit Imani Bates who I'm sure a ton of people have heard of was coined as the next Kevin Durant was playing as bad as anyone could play in college basketball he got hurt and it seems like his father and his camp don't want him to tank his stock anymore so they're sitting him out and ever since they, they sat him out Memphis can't lose their entire offense has opened up they've won 10 out of the last 11 they been a, a machine against the spread they're looking like a 10 seed right now they get a good draw against a team that can make they can make a final four run NBA athleticism at length. Houston's coach Kelvin Sampson said that uh, Memphis is a Final Four team when they beat Houston. The offense is as good as ever without Amani Bates. So I'm curious to see where this team gets uh, sorted, out, sorted out because they're another team that can make a huge run.
3: Real ones know that Tyler Morales is the goods. So that's why you should be following him on Twitter at underscore T Morales. He does his work for BetMGM tonight. If you're a BetQL Network listener, you might remember when I was over on You Better You Bet, Tyler was working the show for a vast majority of that time as well so this is really not that new a conversation for us it's just like new that that it's it's brought to the air (laughs) it's like i'll ask you college basketball questions that are probably dumb you'll answer them and you'll ask me like solid mba questions and and (laughs) i'll answer them because you know you're better with mba than i am with college basketball and it's it's not particularly close either uh in that regard but uh but this is this is like your time. This is like your time of year. So okay. So outside of like mid majors or, or at least like the double digit seed type teams, mm-hmm. who's a team that you value more than most going into you know that could still be alive in their conference room, but just you're really interested to see where they fall because uh, you think they could be a team that makes a run.
2: This this really isn't. If you this isn't, I'm not giving a, a crazy answer here, but I think this team is very good. No one sees them because they play on the West Coast. And if they're to, I think this is a team that is live to win the national championship that no one's talking about. I love Arizona. The one issue is we don't know about their status of their point guard Kirk Crease, because he got hurt in the Pac-12 championship. R- reports are that he's good to go for that. He'll be good to go for the NCAA tournament. But they operate much like Gonzaga. To me, they're a better version of Gonzaga. Their head coach is a former Gonzaga assistant, and they have in college you don't see this often. They have three seven-footers who are legit players, and they're all mobile. They're all really good players. They're one big man, Christian Coloco, defensive player of the year in the Pac-12, outstanding. And in my opinion, they have the most underrated player in the country, Benedict Matherin, who is the Pac-12 player of the year. I mean, Arizona plays at the fourth fastest pace in the country, top 20 defensive efficiency team. They shoot 58% from two, 35% from three. I mean, just an elite team on both ends. Extremely fun to watch. I'm very excited for most people in the East Coast to watch Arizona because I'm, they do some legit draw, jaw-dropping stuff. And I think I, they're right now my pick to win the national championship.
3: Wow. Okay. So everybody mark that down. Keep your eye on futures as well. If that if you're so inclined, it's odd to not have that be the focal point of a conversation that we're having, but I mean, it really, if people are interpreting it the right way, yeah. it, it, it still pretty much is. So in the time we've been talking, Michigan state just finished off Wisconsin in the yep. big 10 oh, tournament. Boy. So of the games or teams that are still alive in these big, in the, you know, the big boy conference tournaments. Mm-hmm. What are a couple of games that, that you're interested interested in or teams that you really want to see something from as we head towards Selection Sunday?
2: I can tell you a couple of teams. I got a couple of bets here that I could give out probably right now. They haven't started yet. Do it. Uh, Oklahoma, of course, I always got the bets. Oklahoma plus seven and a half, they're playing against Texas Tech. Oklahoma's playing like a team we finally thought they were. It's, I mean, we're getting a lot of points here, and it was supposed to be a low-scoring game. Oklahoma has, like, has legit players, and the Groves brothers, Jordan Goldwire, former Duke player, Emoja Gibson, their point guard. They can play anywhere in the country, and they, after a slow start, they're finally picking it up. I mean, it's tough to trust a Texas Tech's offense against Porter Mosier's defense. I'm sure you guys in Chicago know Porter Mosier, outstanding defensive coach. Texas Tech is not a great offense. That's going to be a tough for them. So I like Oklahoma plus 7.5. This one's starting soon. Uh, UConn, I like UConn plus 2.5. Villanova has a legit injury concerns. Jermaine Samuels and Eric Dixon, they're, they're two and only big guys. They're, we don't know if they're playing their game time decision. This, there could not be a worse matchup for Villanova if you don't have your big guys than UConn, who is arguably the most athletic team in the country. It kind of seems like Nova's on cruise control until, until uh, the tournament, until they get healthy. I mean, Colin Gillespie can only do so much. Just not a great matchup for Nova. And if you want to stay up for some Mountain West action, I, got, also got Boise State minus two, uh, I also got Boise State minus two and a half against Wyoming. Wyoming was like a popular Cinderella team. And once everyone started talking about them, they've fallen just flat on their face. Now they, barely won beat, they barely beat UNLV yesterday. Uh, they run a very post-heavy offense that goes right into Boise State's defensive strength. I like Boise State the number one seed in the tournament as well. So I like Boise State minus two and a half. So, yeah, those are all the games I got for tonight.
3: I was doing my best. Nikastos. there of while you were speaking, I had the betting app open and I may have bet every single one of those right there. Love it. And I couldn't name a single player on any of the teams. So whatever. All right. So I'm looking at the leaderboard for the players championship right now. And for those that that don't follow Tyler, they uh, also big on the golf goes on. You better bet for golf bets. I'm going to try and – I'm trying to remember your preferences on players a lot, so forgive me if I'm wrong here. Looking at guys that are at least in the top ten right now, did you bet on Abraham Answer:
2: No, did not, not bet on Abraham Answer: My two guys oh. are no, – first of all, this tournament's a disaster right now. Okay. They've only gone through like one round. They don't even know when they're going to finish. They're going to play at like 11 a.m. tomorrow. This might be a Tuesday finish. I mean, it's, 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 it's a, this is a long week for golf.
3: That's not good. So, who who do you have in this tournament? If, if if it's not too much of a shame to say who it is,
2: no. You, uh, the, the most of the numbers are basically the same as before they uh, before the tournament started because they really haven't played. I like John Rahm. I bet him that like, you can still get him at twelve to one. He, he's a guy that's been putting so poorly, but the off the tee numbers, the ball striking numbers are out of this world. They look fake, and they're like Tiger Woods. Compare so you can compare him to Tiger Woods. That's how good they've been. But he can't putt. He switched putters this week back to his old putter. He was minus three on the first round. So if fact, you can get him twelve to one. It's kind of nuts to be honest. So I still like John Rahm. And my other guy, I bet him every week. If you watch you better you bet, you know this is Will is my guy. Same with John Rahm. Ball striking is through the roof. He just he's might be the worst putter I've ever seen. When he when he goes back on his backswing, wow. the putter shakes. He looks like he had, he might have the yips from like three feet in. It's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. You can get him at forty five to one still at his current odds. I got that too at forty five to one before the tournament. He's a guy that the approach game is outstanding. They're off the tee numbers, outstanding as usual, but just like John Rahm, he cannot putt. But he'll put the ball close to the hole, and you've got to hope you can catch a good putting day. Even if he puts average, John Rahm and Zalatoris they'll be up there in the top. So those are two guys like.
3: Will Zalatoris right now putting or Adam Scott pre-belly putter putting?
2: Oh, that, you know, that's a, good, that's a good comp because that's, that's the comparison with this. Oh, I'm going to okay. go with Zalatoris. Yeah, that's that's what I, all the people in the golf media making the same comparison. I'm going to go Zalatoris because I'm telling you go, if you go on Twitter, type in Zalatoris putting. The, when he brings it back, the thing the putter shakes. It's I never seen anything like it and the like, announcers gasp when they see it. So I'm going to go with Will Zalatoris.
3: Oh god, I'm looking at one right now. That's Like yeah, it shakes. That's not that's not great friends. Not a big golf analyst here, but I'm going to go with not great. Tyler, it's great to get to talk to you on air. In in a different format, uh, if you're not following Tyler, you should be because he's the goods. Uh, when it comes to college basketball, uh, Tyler Morales is my king. At underscore T Morales, <laughs> and you can uh, hear him and, and definitely hear his work on uh, Bet MGM tonight and on You Better You Bet throughout the week on the BetQL Network. I will talk to and probably be texting you soon, man.
2: Thanks for having me on, Rick. Always a great time talking to you.
3: That is Tyler Morales, legitimately one of my favorite people that, uh, that I have gotten to work with. I love working with Tyler. Tyler is the absolute best. All right. Going to take time out, come back. And the Bulls are, getting hel- are just a little, getting a little bit closer to healthy. For as much talk as there's been of, well, you can't judge them now because they're not healthy. You can't judge them. You can't. No, seriously, you cannot judge them, even if they're falling in the standings. Okay, loaded it's loaded statement, fine, but you know what? A little bit closer. Tell you why, there's there's a little bit of glimmer of hope here. When we come back, we got one hour to go. I'm Rick Camp here
1: with you till 9 o'clock on The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?